0: so the reading is taken from psalm 119 and it's verse 17 to verse 24 which is on page 618 of the church bibles so page 618 be good to your servants while i live that i may obey your word open my eyes that i may see wonderful things in your law I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. Thanks be to God.
1: To see you all again, I'll just open with a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you speak to us through it. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, give me the words that you would have me share tonight. And that you'd speak to all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, um, the title of this talk is A Word That Leads to Wonder. A Word That Leads to Wonder. Not long ago my eldest daughter uh, approached me. She's eight years old. And she said, Dad, we've been learning about the stars at school. And could I stay up late, you know, one night soon? And would you show me the stars? And I I thought, great. I said to her, not tonight, but we'll do it soon. Later that night, I was outside and I I looked up because I thought, well, she's, she's asked me. What she actually had said is, Dad, would you show me the constellations? And I thought, gosh, I better brush up. (laughs) <laughs> Would you show me the constellations, Dad? But I looked up, Cambridge, I, I don't think it was even this many stars, it might have been maybe two, and I was really disappointed. That's what you get from the glare of a big town or a city, a bit of air pollution thrown in. And I thought, oh, my heart sank, and I thought, I can't, I can't get her up for this. You know, this will be a disappointment compared to what she's been learning about all these constellations and animals and so forth in the sky. Well, recently, we were in Australia, and while we were there visiting family, we visited my sister, who's now moved to a large um, sheep and cattle farm, way away from the cities. And one night, I happened to be outside, and I looked up, and it was a very different picture which greeted me. Incredible um, kind of skies that you see out in the outback in Australia. And I must say, it just floored me the immensity spread out, the constellations, planets. I could even see something of the Milky Way, you know, when you see it spread across the sky. And the feeling that descends on you in these moments is one of wonder, isn't it? It just quietens your heart. How can there be so much out there? Some of these stars are so far away, apparently, that their light takes, what, hundreds, thousands of years to get to us. Can't even properly comprehend it. Recently, there was a book review in The Guardian. There's a psychology professor from a very prestigious university in America, and he's written a book about the power of awe. And he defines this as the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. Well, spare a thought, too, for the scientists who are monitoring the new James Webb Telescope. If you've heard about this telescope, they've managed to get circling the sun, not the earth, far away from any atmospheric interference. It's bringing back images like this, which is just incredible, using infrared um, sensors, able to see light that our own eyes can't even see. Well, what about the Word of God? Can this be a source of wonder for us? Can this be the kind of experience for us that stops us in our tracks, that causes us to marvel, to be overwhelmed in our minds and hearts at the universe that lies within. Why am I asking this question? Because it's in our text today, isn't it? It's here in verse 18 of this wonderful psalm. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So here we have the psalmist writing about the Torah and saying, he knows it contains wonderful, marvellous, awe-inspiring things. And he's crying out to God saying, open my eyes, give me the telescope lens, so to speak, so that I may behold these. It's not a physical eye-opening really though, is it? I mean, perhaps you're familiar with that song we sometimes sing, open the eyes of my heart. That's the kind of eye-opening we're talking about, isn't it? Open the eyes of my heart, a spiritual eye-opening. Surely, this is what not just the psalmist needs, but what all of us need. I don't know if you're like me, but um, I have more than one Bible around the place. Bibles knocking around, different translations, um, study Bibles. Got a few Bibles on my phone. You know, it's hard to believe sometimes that people die to share this, that people die to get hold of a copy. You know, I can just click, open up the Bible. Where's the wonder? Where's the wonder? Am I missing it, Lord? Help me, Lord, open my eyes. I don't want to have my vision obscured. I don't want to be, I don't know, going outside under your night sky with sunglasses on. So how then can we have our eyes open to the wonders of God's law, of his word? It's interesting because something of an answer to this question I believe emerges from our same text today. Let's consider the verses around this one. So if we go back one verse to verse 17. Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your, your word. Did you notice that? Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. Be good to your servant while I live in order that I may obey your word, or so that I may obey your word. The psalmist wants to experience God's goodness in his life so that he can obey God's word. Now this is convicting for us, I think, because it's so easy and common, isn't it, to ask for God's blessing in our lives, really to pray the first part of that line, Be good to your servant while I live, Lord. Bless me in my lifetime. Bless my work. Bless my family. Bless my circle of influence, Lord. As if the end of all this is just to know God's blessing now, in the here and now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a family. I want to see them prosper. I want to see them blessed. But is that the end of this whole thing? No. The psalmist knows it's about more than that. It's so that we can obey his word. Which means to live as part of his chosen people, as part of his holy covenant on this earth. From this side of the cross we would say as being salt and light in this world, as being Jesus' hands and feet. Or understanding ourselves as Christ's bride in his cosmic plan. We might not understand exactly how that all fits together but we know we have an important and key role to play and help us, Lord, be good to your servants so that we might do that, so that we might obey you, follow your ways, walk according to your word and your purposes for all time. As I prepared this, I thought There's something so beautiful and almost simple um, in its beauty about, about the way the psalmist writes with a, with a verse like this. Be good to your servant while I live so that, that I may obey your word. Do you remember years ago, uh, the Brian Adams had a hit, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Yeah, that's the name. I, personally, I, I'm a musician. I used to hate that song because I, I felt it was um, it, quite cheesy, the film clip. They were popped up in the forest with their guitars and amplifiers, and I thought, how's that even possible? <laughs> anyway, um, the, the point of the song being, he's so sold out, isn't he, to his love in that, in that song. Uh, he's saying to her, everything I do, I'm doing it for you. Everything in my life that I do, I'm doing for you. Well, in this verse, what we're seeing is that the psalmist is so totally sold out, not to some girl, romantic partner, but to his Lord, to Yahweh, to King of the universe. He's saying, Lord, everything I do is just to follow you, just to follow your word, just to follow your ways. He doesn't want God's blessing to be safe and secure and achieve his own goals in his life. He's beyond that. He just wants God's goodness enough so he can follow God's word. He's totally sold out, dependent, devoted, dedicated. If we go to verse 19 now, the same point is reinforced. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. It's not about being blessed in this world anyway. He knows ultimately we don't belong to this world's ways. We're citizens of another country. The New Testament tells us that, doesn't it? It says we're citizens of of heaven. And we may be in the world, but we're not of the world. And so the psalmist lives in dedication to the Lord. I'm a stranger in this world. I'm passing through. So don't hide your commands from me, Lord. They're the light that I need on this journey. Can you see his dependence again? So let's pause for a minute and recap and remind ourselves what we're asking. We're seeking to answer the question, how can we have our eyes open to the wonders of God's word? And I'm suggesting that for evidence of an answer to that, we look at the person who wrote those lines. We look at this psalmist who is themselves on the verge of beholding those wonders. What clues can we learn? because it seems to be a person transformed, a person who doesn't live for their own blessings or prosperity, a person who understands they're passing through this world, a stranger, really, to its ways and values. They're citizens of another place. And in verse 20, the total dependence of the psalmist is reinforced with this beautiful verse, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. It's nice to read a verse like that, isn't it? But do we, do we ever feel like that? When do we feel consumed with longing? Recently, I, at the end of my trip, unfortunately, had a terrible case of food poisoning. There's, there's food poisoning and then there's food poisoning. I had it really bad. And I don't think I ate anything for probably a whole week. Um, and by the end, you know, I was really hungry. I, I just would have killed for a hamburger or something. And instead, you know, I was on a diet of bone broth. That was what I was having, bone broth. Um, anything just to sustain me you know, longing for that food well the psalmist is saying he has that kind of longing even more it's a soul longing it's not a stomach longing he's longing for the sustenance the food he craves in God's law God's word again there's this total dependence at the deepest level of the person and we see this again in the way the psalmist responds in the following verses to people who are arrogantly heaping scorn and contempt upon him He's not intimidated. He just says, God, please deal with those people. Take them away. You get the sense that his foundational dependence upon the Lord is such um, that he's not insecure about them and he's not affected by their scorn. It's a paradox, isn't it, that when we're totally dependent on God, we're, we're independent of you know, fear of others. Fear of man, fear of people's opinion. So we're totally dependent on our source. We become independent of that fear that can be so controlling. He's so sold out, he says, even if rulers sit together and slander me, in verse 23, I'm just going to sit there and meditate on your decrees. doesn't care whether kings and rulers slander him. It's a bit like David, if you remember Psalm 23, famous line, you prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. I'm secure right there in the presence of my enemies because of you, Lord. But it's not enough saying, really, just dependence alone is the key to having our eyes open to the wonders of, of God's Word. Why might the, God's Word itself be so worthy of the psalmist's devotion? The answer is really all the way through this wonderful Psalm 119. It's that the Word is a source of life, deep inner spiritual nourishment, deep inner communion with our Maker. I could say all the wonders of God's Word or the wonders of God's law are are all the amazing books of the Bible, books of wisdom, books of poetry, books of history, the way God made the world, called forth his chosen people, I could tell you the Bible is 66 books of different genres, more than 40 authors over a period of over 1,500 years, 10 civilizations, three continents, three languages. I could tell you that that's the wonder of God's word. But no, that's not the wonder that we experience when we read God's word. What we experience, the wonder that we encounter, is the wonder of the person that we meet here. And as has been said, the Bible is the only book that when you read it, the author shows up. Yeah? From this side of the cross, too. From this side of the cross, just like the early Christians, we can look at the whole Bible and we can see the way that Christ is pointed to, Christ is imaged, Christ is revealed right through the pages of this book, from the offspring of the woman in Genesis who will crush the serpent's head to the prince of peace in Isaiah from the kinsman redeemer of Ruth that we looked at a while back, to the son of righteousness in Malachi who will rise with healing in his wings from the vulnerable child born in straw poverty to the coming king of revelation the whole scriptures attest to Christ, all the scriptures point to him and in the scriptures we encounter him through his spirit. What a gift. What a gift we've been given. What a delight. This word delight that Steve mentioned, it's right through the psalm. I I counted it nine times. Delight. 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 How strange, you know, words on a page or a scroll back then being called delight. You know? But it is. It's delight. It's a delight. And something David said this morning, um, which was about the Garden of Eden, you know, Think of all the delights that were there um, for Adam and Eve in the garden. So many delights. And they just had to do one thing, obey his word, obey his law, which was not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. See, if we, if we follow God's law, if we follow his word, we're not limiting our freedom. We're in walking into the deepest kind of joyful freedom that we can possibly have. That's the delight of seeking the, the Lord. That's the delight of following his word. It was interesting this morning. If you were there, David, um, if he's here, he, he quoted Hamlet, um, which I thought was interesting in a quoting, quoting Shakespeare to make a point. So I'm going to quote another poet, Bob Dylan, <laughs> Nobel Prize laureate by the way. Um, he wrote a song called "Tangled Up in Blue," and in that song he's talking about a relationship and you know travails of that. And at one point he reunites with this lady, and he says, "And she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me." written by an Italian poet from the 13th century. And every one of those words rang true and glowed like burning coals, pouring off of every page like it was written in my soul from me to you. In the context of relationship, the words of poetry came alive and blazed in his soul. Well, how much more for the Bible, how much more for the the lover of our souls to have that relationship with us and for his words to come alive, to come alive like burning coal imprinted on our hearts, changing us forever. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your law. And just a final word, talking a lot about wonder tonight. Wonder doesn't come cheap. I mean, we've talked about the sky. I could run outside right now with my phone and um, take a shot of the sky. I don't know what I'd get. Probably some cloud cover. If not, probably maybe one or two stars again. If I really want to get to the wonder of the night sky, I have to put some work in. I have to be prepared. I have to work out the best time and the best place to be. It's not going to happen if my heart's not in it. We've looked today at some of the qualities of heart of the psalmist. Total devotion, dedication, dependence. Wonder doesn't come cheap, but something's happened inside this author, hasn't it? For him to be so sold out, seeking, clinging to every word of the living God. You don't get the sense that any of this is a burden. He's having to say, oh no, I've got to have my quiet time again. You know, let me get through this. There's none of that. No. He's like one who finds great spoil. That's later in the psalm, verse 162. Like one who finds great spoil. I just want to suggest um, that the doorway to wonder in God's word might be closer than we think. And I would suggest finding those experiences, even those struggles that you may be having in your life at different times, whatever situation, relationship, illnesses, grief. Let it be the doorway into that dependence upon the Lord. When you can't depend on anything else, when all else seems to fail, let it drive you to God. Let it drive you into the arms of the living God. And let that dependence drive you to devotion. And let that devotion drive you to wonder. And just as we as we finish, just um, make a moment to maybe just to reflect and then I'll say a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, a word that leads to wonder. And we say to you, We're tired of living in the glare of all our distractions, content with seeing what so much of the time must be just a fraction of the riches of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're saved by grace, not by our own efforts. And at the same time, Lord, we read the words of the psalmist today and we're stirred by the depth of their passion and devotion, the dependence they have in their heart for your word. Lord, we don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out on the riches of your word, Lord. And we, we don't want to miss feeling that delight that the psalmist talks so much about. So whatever may be going on in our lives, Lord, let it drive us to you, to our knees to seek your face, Lord, and to seek your presence in your word and in prayer. Father, would you help us in this season as we go into this new year? Would you open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we may see wonderful, truly wonderful things in the glorious night sky of your word? Dad, would you show us the constellations? Amen.